All right, would you turn to your Bibles um, to page 554? We have the hymnal here, and we'll be reading from Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 through 14. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil, This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. This is God's word. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Mark, for inviting me out. It is a thrill to be here. Um, I was sharing this morning that I had the most quiet night of sleep that I ever had in my life. Last night, sleeping in the Hamptons. Far different world from New York City. Um, So as Mark mentioned, my name is Graham Girard. I serve as a campus minister uh, with RUF International. So I work with international students from around the world down at NYU, which is sort of the epicenter of the culture. Um, And so it is a thrill to sort of get out of the city and and just be at a church. I even said that like I'm literally in a church. Normally we deal in the trenches sort of, or even the churches we preach at are rented buildings. So uh, it is a particular joy um, for me to be here with you today. Uh, One of the things I spend a lot of time talking with my students and helping them through is how to deal with the different seasons of their lives. And and they frankly want to know if there's any purpose to all this studying and all this work that they're doing. But the older I get, the more I find a comfort in a passage like this. And so I hope that today uh, this passage will be an encouragement to you in whatever season you happen to be in. Uh, But before we get into the word, would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning and the privilege that we have to worship you in your presence. We ask that your word be illuminated in our hearts and bring us the peace and joy that we can only find in you. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen. Well, while we still have a few months left in this year, 2024 is fast approaching. And as we we sort of come to the end of the year, we have a time of reflection on the year that's passed and also look ahead at what the future might hold. Some of us, if you're like me, when we hit the end of the year, we have this sense of panic when we look at what we wanted to do versus what we actually did, and that we resolve then on January 1st, everything is going to be different. For me, I am often reminded of the quote by Annie Dillard that reads, how you spend your days is how you spend your life. But you know, time is a funny thing. Sometimes time flies by, and other times it cannot move fast enough. And frankly, a lot of times it seems like it's doing both of those things at the very same time. Yet there is a problem with time that none of us like, that no matter how fast or slow time goes, it does not stop moving. And frankly, that has real consequences. 
Now, you know, normally I was somebody who used to celebrate New Year's Eve rather vigorously, too, I might add, in my early 20s, until one New Year's Eve, a friend of mine said rather sarcastically, who cares? It's just another year closer to the end. And I have to tell you, he really spoiled the party that night. But the older I get, the more I realize that that snarky, sarcastic friend of mine might have actually been right. Time is moving, friends. It seems to move faster every year, and there is nothing that we can do to stop it. Maybe some of us in this room have started this year with people in our lives who, who are no longer with us. And some of us are ending this year with some people, some very tiny, cute little people, who were not here when 2023 began. But think about this for some perspective. Every minute, in this very minute that I am talking to you, 114 people will die and 266 will be born. It is a staggering thing to think about, the amount of joy and sadness around the world in just 60 seconds. We all see and feel this reality. We all feel the pressure of time. And so we usually try to deal with this by trying to make these moments last. But how do we deal with something that we have so little control over? How do we take the limited time that we have and make it count? And is there any point to even trying to do that, to try to organize and manipulate the hours and minutes in our lives? And if so, what might that purpose be? Well, these are important questions to ask because how we view time does in fact tell us a lot about how we view life. And so today we're going to look at three things regarding time. We're going to look at the problem with time, the pattern of time, and finally the purpose of time. So the problem, the pattern, and the purpose, that's a PPP plan for time. Well, first the problem with time, and frankly I've already mentioned several problems with time already. We can't control it, but more importantly, we really don't know how to use the time that we have, and for some of us, we might even wonder if there's any purpose to the time that we're given. Well, this is exactly what the author of Ecclesiastes is complaining about. For those of you who are not familiar with the book of Ecclesiastes, or maybe haven't read it in a while, it's not a very happy book. It almost doesn't seem like it really fits in the Bible at first glance because it is so dark. The author, most people attribute to King Solomon, who was a king, a very successful, wealthy, uh, brilliant, wise man who had literally seen and done it all. But he opens the entire book of Ecclesiastes by saying everything is meaningless or everything is vanity, a chasing after the wind. He asks, what do people actually gain from the toil or the work that they put into this life? Because he says, frankly, people won't remember you once you're gone. He says that having wisdom or intelligence is also meaningless. In fact, he calls that a burden on mankind. And he even says that the pleasures, the simple enjoyment of the things in life are also meaningless. Well, this is especially depressing stuff because Solomon is saying there isn't any point to anything. He's essentially been to the top of every mountain and has come up empty. And you know, this might just be the biggest fear that we have, that no matter what we do or don't do, that our lives will ultimately be meaningless. And so if our lives are meaningless, we have to somehow find a way with the days that we have to make this life worth living. And so we try to do this in a number of different ways. What a lot of times we do is rather than looking to religion, we try to sort of mix and match the best of what we heard or whatever we personally think is best at this present moment. This is a major trend in our culture right now, that the truth now comes from inside of you and not from the world around you. This is actually the first generation in human history to think this way. Up until now, meaning was always found outside of yourself, how you contributed to your faith community, to your family, to your community at large. But now we expect the world to cater to us. And we see and hear this a lot today. How many of you have ever heard somebody say, I'm just going to live my truth and do what's best for me? If the culture doesn't agree, then who cares? Nobody can tell me what is right or wrong. I'm just going to live the best way I can. 
And so what we do is we essentially create a self-made philosophy to maximize our happiness and make each day bearable. Or the other thing we can choose to believe is only choose to believe in something that is demonstrably provable. So something like science that we can see and touch in a physical and concrete, tangible way. Interestingly, also we've noticed our politics or the social issues that we support. These become the very things that our happiness or lack thereof rests upon. Or the other approach we can take is the carpe diem slash hedonist approach, which is the eat, drink, and be merry approach. Might as well indulge in everything that the world has to offer and have a good time because we've all got to go at some point. And so while we resolve that we cannot change time, maybe we can change how we live. And so whatever belief system you have this morning, I'm willing to bet that at least part of the reason for adopting your way of living is that you want your life to matter. You want to maximize your time and squeeze as much living out of this life as possible. You also probably want to leave a lasting legacy for people to remember you by or for your family to remember you by. And you want to check every box off that ever-expanding bucket list. And you know, as I mentioned earlier, I work with international students who come from all over the world from different faith and cultural backgrounds, but they all agree learning to live in that present moment and maximizing your time right now is extremely important. But you see the problem with this, right? The party has to end at some point. And sooner or later, we have to face the dark reality that Solomon is talking about. And so look, we can have as much fun as we want. We can make our names great. We can make tons of money. We can become wise in the eyes of the world. And yes, we can make a real positive difference to the world and those around us. Solomon did all of these things and more. But Solomon made it clear. If you try to maximize and squeeze everything out of your life, you will still be empty and you will still want more. And all of those material possessions we accrue, those experiences we take in, the status and prestige at our jobs and in our community, or the achievements that we rack up in the world mean very little when we are lying in a hospital bed fighting for another day. You know, Queen Elizabeth I, who was a queen of a country, had literally everything you could ever want. She famously said she would gladly give up all her possessions for just one more minute of life. This leaves even the most optimistic person with a feeling of hopelessness. And so we can pursue knowledge and degrees and wisdom. It's not going to save us. We can pursue pleasure and indulge in the finer things in life. It will all be for nothing. We can make up our own rules and live by our own truth. But sooner or later, we are going to have to face the truth. And so in our moments between birth and death, we all have to find an appropriate way to live in light of this. And so that brings us to the pattern of time. We have to learn when to do and not do certain things. You know, the two regrets that most people have when they're nearing the end of their lives is that they either wish they would have done more with their life or they wish they would have done less of at least one particular thing. Usually, it ends up being work. And so we need to understand the parameters or the seasons. And when we get here in Ecclesiastes 3 is this beautiful poem, which many of you probably recognize from the bird song, Turn, 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 in the 1960s. Mark gave a stirring rendition of it at his dinner table last night. Um, it was also John F. Kennedy's favorite Bible verse, and it has helped countless people through countless situations. It gives us inspiration to start a new season, the courage to end a difficult one, and the peace that we need when we are stuck in the depths of sorrow. It reminds us that our pain is not unique to us. But the reality is that as beautiful as this poem is, in the context of what Solomon is writing, it is not positive. It's maybe mildly positive at best. But what he says and why it resonates to people of all backgrounds is just how practical this wisdom is. He says that there is a season for everything, not just under the sun, but under heaven. 
And so what we get here are 14 pairings of opposites that when taken together, give us a broad and comprehensive picture of everything in life. Moments in life that are opposites. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, and the list goes on. And so part of the lesson is to look at these events and figure out how we make the most of our time. Look, for example, a time to weep and a time to laugh. Weeping is good, but if you don't, if you, you know, don't properly mourn loss in your life, it will come back to haunt you down the road, won't it? But if you grieve too much, grief can overtake you, and then that becomes deeply unhealthy. There's a time also to be silent and a time to speak. I think we've all probably learned that one the hard way, especially husbands in the room. There's a time to stand up and to fight for what is right, but there's also a time to pull back and change our tone to have dialogue. There's a time to plant, or we can say to plan, or plot, or strategize our next move. But then there's a time that we have to make good on our plans. We have to execute, or we have to reap. And so it is vital for us to know what season we are in. And so we have to ask ourselves, or ask God, what time is it? What season is it? And friends, that is the dance that all of us will spend the rest of our lives trying to perfect. But we still have to answer the question, is there any meaning to it? And so this passage can and does help us and comfort us, but if you notice something here, Solomon is not really offering a time management course. He is making no prescriptions on how we manage our time. He's just simply saying that there is a season for everything. As one writer says, this poem reveals the great absurdity of life because each activity cancels the other out. There are 14 pluses and there are 14 minuses, and 14 minus 14, I'm pretty sure, still equals zero. And then Solomon really lays the hammer down here. He says, I have seen the burden that God has laid on the human race. And then he says something that sounds incredibly hopeful. Listen to this. He says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. No one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. But this statement, again, from Solomon's perspective, is not a positive one. He is saying, look what he's saying. He's saying that God has a reason for everything he's doing. That's good, right? Then he's saying that there's a purpose for everything that we're doing. This is also good. But while we have this sense, Solomon is saying that none of us can fathom what it is. God knows and sees it all, but seemingly won't tell us. We can only guess what that purpose might be. And so the reason that we struggle with the pattern of time is because we don't have a good grasp on its purpose. And so Solomon resolves here to basically say that we should strive to be happy and do good and find satisfaction in our work because these things are all gifts from God, so we should enjoy them. But this tiny morsel of hope is deeply unsatisfying, and it feels more like a bronze medal or a consolation prize that can feel us, uh, leave us feeling rather hopeless. After all, knowing that there is a time for suffering and pain doesn't make suffering and pain any easier. And so let me speak to anyone in the room right now who's maybe struggling through, through just hopelessness or maybe some depression or, or just a difficult season. If you feel sad and uncertain, and you've tried to use your time well and live the best you can, but you still feel lost. If you've tried it all and you've tried to fill that hole in your heart and everything that you do seems to fit like a square peg in a round hole, well, maybe the reason that you can't find that happiness or purpose is because the ultimate purpose of your life is actually something else. You know, for a Christian, when we read a passage like this, in light of what we know about Jesus Christ, it is remarkable. Because we know so much more than King Solomon knew at the time. Solomon is missing a huge piece to this puzzle. And look, this cruel way of the world is the very reason why we look for something else for hope. 
we don't want to believe that this life is all there is. Solomon said that God has written eternity on our hearts, and even if you don't believe in God, you must have at least once in your life had this sense that maybe, just maybe, there is something more to it all. Because frankly, if this cursed world is all there is, if there is no God and we are just human beings here by random accident, then all of our actions in this life are, as Solomon says, futile. There can be no right or wrong. There's no need to care about what you look like or to have a moral framework. There's no need to treat anyone with any sort of compassion. None of it matters. Every good thing and every bad thing in this world will amount to absolutely nothing. But look, Solomon is no atheist, and he believed in God. So let's presuppose that there is a God for a second. If there is a God, maybe there is a purpose to things, as Solomon says. And so if there's a God, we can either believe two things about him. We can believe either he's a God who cares about you or a God who doesn't. And if he doesn't care about you, then you're left with the same feeling as the atheist. Maybe even worse, because God would essentially just be playing a game of chess with himself, and your entire life would just be a pawn in his game. But if there is a God who cares about you, who created you, and does want to be involved with you, then there has to be a reason for your life. If God exists and he created everything in the world, then he cares about you and he cares about you in every season, good or bad. Now, I know what you're going to say here. How do we accept that if God exists, that even our bad or challenging seasons have a purpose? Why would God do this to us? This is the number one objection I get to God at NYU. Why would a good God let bad things happen to his people? Well, unfortunately, I didn't come from New York City with that answer today, but I do believe that the things we go through have a purpose. And I can also tell you that the God of the Bible cares a great deal. He cares so much that he was willing to enter human history to show you this. And he did this by humiliating himself and subjecting himself to all of the human suffering on this earth so he can relate to you better. There is nothing about your suffering that he does not understand firsthand. He is not a God who hides in the shadows or lives in a faraway place because Jesus Christ broke the barrier, the separation between you and God, and he is now with you in every season. And so that frustration of not knowing God's plan that Solomon was struggling with, we don't have that problem on this side of the cross. So we can now live out the true purpose of our lives in light of his grace. That is how much the Christian God cares. And if Christianity is true, if God became flesh and lived the life that you should have lived and died the death that you deserve, then maybe, just maybe, he cares about you more than you could ever imagine. And if that is true, then that gives your life on this earth infinite value and purpose. Nothing in your life is by accident. Life is most certainly not a chasing after the wind. Everything we go through is a pathway to him. And so maybe you try and you don't achieve exactly what you want. Maybe you don't get the dream job. Maybe you don't get the dream girl or boy. Maybe something far worse than that happens to you. All of these things are going to hurt. But if you believe in Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross, it can hurt you, but it can't kill you. Now look, if there is anyone in the room today who's not a Christian, I'm going to let you in on a little secret about us Christians. That scripture passage we read earlier, Romans 8, we love Romans 8. Romans 8, you go up to a Christian and say Romans 8, they will start doing cartwheels, backflips, and they will start reciting those words that we said to you verbatim. For good reason. Because we absolutely believe that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But look what I said there. Look what Paul, the author of Romans, said there. His purpose, not ours. Our lives are meaningless if we are living according to our purposes. But when we live according to God's purposes, when we ask God to bend our will to be his and not his will to be ours, 
everything can change. But Paul also wants to make sure we understand that when he says all things, he means all things. He means that we too will experience suffering, loss, hurt, betrayal, and all kinds of other pain, trials, and tribulations. And you know, maybe that's hard to deal with for some of you. But look, if Jesus Christ lived the perfect life and died and suffered the way that he did in the most painful and humiliating fashion, then why on earth would we expect our lives not to have suffering? But even Jesus' suffering had a purpose too, and he knew that each moment in his life was for a reason, to not only achieve for us what we could not do ourselves, but to make us the benefactors and give us his record of perfection and beauty. And so everything that we now go through, God uses all of this to conform us into the image of Christ. Now look, I'm sure, I don't know many of you here, but I'm sure that some of you are grieving right now. And, and, and I have grief in my own life. The grief that you are feeling, the emptiness, the confusion, the heartache, the sense of failure, whatever it might be, I can't take that pain away. But because of Jesus, I can tell you that I believe with all my heart that it is not for nothing and it will ultimately be for your good and for his glory. You know, as one writer put it, the problem we have is that we're in the baby stage with God. We're in the why stage, right? It's every toddler's favorite word. Why, why, why? Why, God, did you let me lose my job? Why, God, did this relationship end? Why, God, did you take this person from me? If there is no God, there can be no hope. And frankly, we don't have a right to ask that question. But if Jesus Christ is who he said he is, then we can go to him and ask, and I really do believe he will eventually show us why. Our problem is that we are too close to see the big plan, but it doesn't mean that we can't trust him. He has us. And as one pastor put it, he says he has your pain that seems like a jagged piece of glass, but once you can step back and see the stained glass window of your life, you will see that it is absolutely gorgeous. And so, yes, it hurts, but yes, God has you, and yes, you can trust him. And let's, let's test this out. Maybe you've had experiences like this in your life. May, wouldn't you say that adversity and suffering has probably made us stronger or brought us to where we are today in our lives? That we might even say we, we would become grateful for going through some of those difficult moments. And friends, that is how a Christian can get through all of this and how a passage that we're reading today can have such a positive impact, even though it's written in a much darker context. Because after, friends, all the toil and enjoyment of things in this life, after all the laughing and crying and sowing and reaping, no matter how peaceful or painful our lives end for us, as Christians, we believe that the moment we breathe our last breath, we will open our eyes and we will immediately be face to face with Jesus. And if that is your truth, then you can face anything. God wants to use all of the moments, all of the ups and downs, all of the seasons in our lives to grow closer to him. And now we really know what is meant by verse 11. We know that God has, in fact, made everything beautiful in its time. We understand that when Solomon said that God has put eternity on our hearts, he was talking about Jesus but didn't know who Jesus was yet. Well, friends, we do. And because of Jesus Christ, we now can, in fact, fathom what God has done from beginning to end. If you take absolutely nothing away from this, I want you to just remember this, that Jesus will absolutely take the pain that you are experiencing right now and he will one day make it beautiful. And that is why a passage like this can bring us hope. God is not going to waste one minute, one hour, one triumph or disaster, one tear of joy or sadness that sheds from your eye. We can rejoice because after the rain there is sunshine and after winter there is spring. And if we live our lives this way, not overly obsessed with our current situation, but with eternity written on our hearts, with the hope and promise of Jesus Christ, knowing and trusting in God, 
This will help us navigate these seasons. Because again, every single season is a path to Christ to know more of his beauty. You know, I have a good friend right now who's, who's kind of living this out in real time. He recently lost his father, and he really, really, really loved his dad. And he told me, you know, I miss my dad so much. It's so hard. Sometimes it's, it's just hard to, to face the day. But I also know that God is telling me, your dad was great, but I am greater. Look to me. I am the greater father, and I will get you through this. God will guide us, and he will show us when to laugh and when to cry, when to sow and when to reap, when to mourn and when to dance. And we can navigate this because we can ask him for help. Friends, you have that kind of access to God. And if we look for peace in anything that this world has to offer, our hearts will be restless like Solomon's. And our hearts will remain restless until we learn to rest in him. And we can find our rest in him because he is the one working out the ultimate plan to make all things new. And so if you are in a season of pain right now, try going to Jesus. You've been hurt, betrayed. Jesus has been there too. Grieving, suffering, Jesus has done that as well, and he is ready to walk with you in whatever season that you are in. But before I go, I do want to say Solomon was absolutely 100% right about something else. The good gifts in this world are meant to be enjoyed, so friends, enjoy them. As the holidays approach and the New Year's approaches, drink deeply from life as a gift from God. Have a drink tonight, celebrate, enjoy every sandwich, eat the cookie but also go to the gym. Hit the snooze button, but don't be late for work. And while you're at work, give it your all while you're there. Cuddle your children, spend time with your spouse, but take time for yourself too. Work to improve, but let today be enough and let who you are right now be enough as well. Knowing that you are not defined by what you do with your time, but what Jesus Christ did with his. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word, and we thank you that you have made and will make everything beautiful in its time. And, you know, it, it can be, frankly, hard at times when we are in these painful seasons to see that you are there. And when we have these great moments, we want to think it was our work all along. Give us the knowledge of your presence in our joyful and challenging seasons. And, Lord, allow us to rest on the work that you did for us. We pray that no matter what we are facing, that we remember your son's perfect use of his time and let that bring us peace and comfort this week. We pray all these things in your holy name. Amen.